a listener production. <clears throat> Take it away, my dulcet toned Adonis. Hello, Gistners, and welcome back for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to share and discuss at a dinner party. Rosie, you look stunning. <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> and also, like, I just know you too well to know that that's not true. <laughs> like, <laughs> but thank you. <laughs> thank you for saying that. <laughs> uh, I think we look about as good as each other right now. Wouldn't you yeah. agree? Yeah, I didn't put in um, any effort whatsoever. Yeah, neither did I. I put a tiny little bit of concealer on this massive pimple I have on my chin, but that's all I did really. <laughs> So. Barely even showered the last couple of days. Yeah, me either. Yay, how are you? We're d- this feels soon because we recorded the last one on Friday and now it's Tuesday. So, I mean, Wednesday. Wait, yeah. what day is it? Oh, my God. It doesn't matter. I've lost track of all time. <laughs> I've been in some weird time vortex. I've been babysitting a dog, which um, is actually incredibly high maintenance. He's a teenager, but he's about the size of me, but he acts like a three-year-old child. Is it your prancer? Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> He's certainly very demanding and his needs come before anyone else's um, Mm, and he mm -hmm, can be quite mm -hmm. vocal about what he does and doesn't um, want to be doing at any given time, which is tricky because, like I say, he's huge. His head is literally bigger than mine. His chest is broader (laughs) than mine and he's got paws that are as big as my hands. Wait, what sort of dog? Just a a bitzer. He's definitely part pit bull because he's got a very powerful jaw. But, yeah, just a mix of just about everything. He's a rescue, obviously. Yeah. Um, And he's adorable. He's just such a little teddy bear at heart. He just doesn't realise that because he weighs like 45 kilos, He's difficult oh, he to wrangle know. at times. Oh, that's sort of cute. Hmm. I mean, I have a cat the size of a dog, so I sort of get it. Yeah, they don't realise their bulk and their weight. No, they don't. Mm. They don't. And they don't realise um, how much work they actually are. <laughs> Sounds like you're describing me. <laughs> <laughs> So I've been in the mountains looking after this dog for the last few days and not talking in to anyone. In the mountains? Mm. Where? Uh, on the central coast, just staying in a friend's oh. place, looking after the dog, looking after the house, yeah. Oh, I thought you meant the Blue Mountains. No, no, no. No, no, no right, 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 right. Oh, okay. Well, shall we get into... um. <clears throat> Breaking news, a breaking news. I got the scope, a see, extra, extra, read all about it. A breaking news. Do, 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 do. It's coming down the wire. Take it away. What you <laughs> Thank got? Thank you so much. Okay, so I promised last week that we were going to talk about what being chuggy means. Oh, yeah. Okay, because <laughs> so, we ran out of time last week because I spent so long giving you that uh, verbal recitation of Prance's adoption mm-hmm. ad. So um, I had to save this one for this week. So there's this new thing going around. It's an insult basically that Gen Zs are using to describe millennials. Mm-hmm. So it's them ragging on us, which I love. By the way, before we get into this, did you know that in the last week, 
I just scraped through, so I, this doesn't describe me, but it does describe you, that any millennials born between 1980 and 1985 are now officially referred to as geriatric millennials. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> did they? Oh, Very dead. No. Yes. That's cruel. I what? Know. Well, because I think that, like, people don't realise that millennials, some millennials are now in their... 40s and and like mm. people talk about millennials like they're all you know like 25 year old mm. I think they mix them up with Gen Z's it's like no most millennials are married and have kids and are you know started hitting 40 last year mm. and so to kind of um differentiate between the millennials who are actually still younger and annoying and the millennials that are actually grown-ups now, they decided that 1980 to 1985 births would be referred to as geriatric millennials. <laughs> so you know the exact millennials you're talking about when you talk about them. So I'm 1986, baby. <laughs> <gasps> what does that make through. you then? I'm just An a millennial. millennial? Oh, just standard millennial. Just standard millennial. God, they could have tried to sugarcoat it a little bit by calling this like... <laughs> Wise millennials. Yeah, right? Or, yeah, Mature millennials. Distinguished would have been perfect. Just That doesn't describe either of us. <laughs> well, out. women have been putting up with this for years because I think it's uh, as soon as you turn 34 and you get pregnant, it's considered a geriatric pregnancy. Mm. So yeah. if I have babies from any point now, I will be having a geriatric Baby, pregnancy, you know what I mean. Yeah. I'll be um, lucky if, you know, that thing doesn't fall out of my wrinkly old flaps. <laughs> <laughs> the way doctors describe it. <laughs> You'll be lucky if it does. That sounds a lot less painful than what oh, yeah, I know. sister oh, had I'm, to go through. Oh, elective C-section all the way. Put me to sleep and don't wake me up till it's clean and a cute onesie next to me. That's how I want to do it. Um, okay. So you've anyway. shut the bed enough times in your life. You don't need yeah. to do it again. Giving birth. <laughs> I don't need to do that one more time ever. Chugi is what the Gen Z's are teasing millennials with. Mm-hmm. And it, so the official definition that the New York Times sort of did a bit of a story on, but basically um, Chugi spelled C-H-E-U-G-Y is Someone who is out of touch or trying too hard. It's not quite basic, but it's mm. someone who is behind the trends and inauthentic. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like those basic Karens who have like live, laugh, love pillows mm-hmm. and are doing things that were trendy and cool back in, you know, the mid 2000s when they were doing it, but they're still doing it and it's not cool anymore. Now it's chuggy. Mm-hmm. So, where, where did they get the word from? Did someone just? It was it was a made up word from like years ago, and it's just and now the kids have found it and they're putting it on TikTok, and so it's become like the thing. And so uh-huh. there's some um, pretty funny stuff. Let me read to you. So apparently, some chuggy things are hashtag girl boss energy, <laughs> like oh my god, girl boss, lady power, yes. etc. That kind of thing. Yeah, shut that down. If you're an mm. adult, or oh, this one makes me feel personally targeted, who is still obsessed with Friends, Harry Potter, Grey's Anatomy, or the U.S. Office. <gasps> oh. <laughs> oh, how dare you! <laughs> I thought I dodged a bullet until you said the office. Yeah, I know. Oh. Um, cheesy captions and hashtags. So kind of like um, having a, putting up like a, um, 
an Instagram post and it, and the caption is, I did a thing or oh, like yeah, fry yay but- or about last night, dot, dot, dot. And then like, oh, apparently it's very chuggy to do a boomerang <laughs> of you cheesing your drinks with your friends. Oh, yeah. That should have died That's years ago. That's super yeah. chuggy. Live, laugh, love signs is like the epitome of chuggy. These ones are quite contentious. Skinny jeans, super chuggy. Out. Skinny jeans, so bad. <laughs> we knew that. Also, yeah. Ugg boots, obviously, but also, and we talked about this, I think, before, wearing your hair in a side part, which I am right now. The middle part is like mm. the hipster thing now and a side part is super chuggy. Yeah, look, uh... Mid parts don't suit everyone's faces. Yeah, they don't suit my eye. When I have a middle part, I look, I look deranged. Like yeah. I, it doesn't like, suit me. Gen Z, just because it's in fashion right now, doesn't mean that it's right for you. This is what you learn yes. as a geriatric millennial. I can tell you <laughs> from experience. Just because it's in vogue right now doesn't mean that you need to get on board. Uh-huh. Oh, you know who is like a major example of chuggy and it's kind of true. Britney Spears is like the ultimate chug. Uh-huh. Very mm. chuggy. Very much stuck in 2006. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that is basically chuggy. I read this amazing description here. Unlike the self-aware daggy dad aesthetic comprising of New Balance sneakers and ironic Hawaiian shirts, Chugs don't see themselves as unfashionable. So daggy dads embrace the fact that they're daggy. The thing mm. with chuggy people is they think they look really cool and they're pulling off the trends. Mm-hmm. So think knee-high boots, framed cursive style text saying live, laugh, love, corny Instagram captions like wine flies when you're having fun, <laughs> Pandora jewellery, definitely, bath bombs, Pinterest, BuzzFeed, Harry Potter quotes and Starbucks are chuggy. Chuggy couples own matching his and hers towels, post social media captions like five years with this one or my partner in crime. And the following <laughs> phrases are 100% certified Chuggy. All the feels, oh. doggo, Ugh. papa, adulting, but first Ugh. coffee. <laughs> girl crush or girl boss, I did a thing and rosé all day. I can't disagree with any of these. They all do need to be shut <laughs> they down. They all do. These are all... Anyway, so that's pretty much <laughs> what being chuggy is. And I love it. I love Gen Z's, like, ragging on us. I think it's the funniest mm. thing. And although I feel, like, a little personally attacked by a lot of those, I have to say I think everyone's a little bit chuggy because I definitely do some chuggy things. Yeah. Have yeah. you ever had a conversation with me where I haven't quoted the US office once? At and least. I hope I never will. I yeah. genuinely do. I'm <laughs> hanging on to that. I mean, they can cut my skitty jeans off my cold, dead corpse. And yeah, I wonder what some Australian chuggy things like. I guess if Supre was still around, Supre would be chuggy. Well, you've pointed out that I need to let go of Javianas altogether. Javianas are very chuggy, very mm. chuggy. Yeah, but they're just part of my DNA now. I can't part with them. Oh, what else is chuggy? Oh, a big Mimco wallet. (laughs) Super (laughs) chuggy. What else? Uh, Oh, frangipani stickers on the back of your car. Yes. Mm. 
Oh, my God, that's so Chuggy. Or Playboy Bunny stickers. Ew, yes, Chuggy. Oh, my God. Mm. You know what I just realised? Australia basically invented Chugginess in Kath and Kim. Kath and Kim are Chuggy. That's it. Right. That is what yes. Chuggy is. It's a more up-to-date version of Boganism. Yeah, I think so. Totally. Kind of, I guess. Mm-hmm. Anyway. There's definitely flavours of it. So that's what Chugi is. My niece says I'm a bit Chugi, which mm-hmm. I suppose is true. Using um, emojis in messages is apparently really Chugi. <laughs> emojis are lame. And mm-hmm. I cannot send a message without a laughing face emoji because, like, I have such social anxiety. I think that every sentence I write looks angry unless it doesn't have a laughing face with it. Mm-hmm. So I've only just started embracing emojis in the last six months. I was fully, fully against them. And then I discovered how effective they can yeah. be to convey like 60 words in one character. But that's because you're such a geriatric millennial. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you only got onto emojis and they're already done. <laughs> yeah. They're lame, Jacob. They're lame. Uh, I'm going to bring it back. Circle I mean, it back around. Start using it ironically and bring it back into the zeitgeist. God, I'm just having a lot of thoughts because I do turn 35 in two weeks and I was saying to you before, I really do feel like 35 is, that's like it. You're like, you're in your 30s. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, for something to me, there's a mental barrier, like 34, I felt still young, mm-hmm. but like as of two weeks from now, I'm going to be 35. That's like yeah. a grown up. And there were so many things when I was a little kid that I would tell people, oh, I'm not going to do that till I'm 35. Like mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I always said I wouldn't get married until I was at least 35. I said I would never have kids until I was at least 35. Like I would never do, like, I think in my head, I always thought as a kid, oh, because when I'm 35, that's when I'm, that's when I'll be a, an, an adult. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking around like, wait, what? Still waiting. Yeah. Hold on. (laughs) Slow down, world. What's happening? Any minute now. Hold off, birthday. What's going on? (laughs) I can't believe I'm about to turn 35. What is this? So I'm out of that 18 to 34 age bracket. I thought the adulthood, I'm not going to say adulting, that'd be far too chuggy. The adulthood would kick in at 35 because you know how they say that you go through seven year cycles in your life. And so at 35, you kick into a new seven year cycle. And I was like, this is it. I'm going to start getting my shit together for real. Yes. (laughs) Still waiting. No, But Mm -mm. then COVID happened not long after that for you, didn't it? That's correct. Yes. I'm absolved of all responsibility. Thanks once again to COVID. Yeah. See, there you go. And, you know, like you are counting down the days that soon I'll be, I'll have been living with Caleb long enough to be de facto and then technically I'll own half this house. Mm-hmm. So look at me, a 35-year-old homeowner <laughs> <laughs> who contributed nothing. <laughs> Doesn't oh. matter. You're on the property ladder. That's oh, all that counts. Dear. Okay. Speaking of Caleb, so mm. breaking news literally today, this morning, just before we mm. came on to record, a lot of people were messaging us because the Summerton man got exhumed today. Do you know mm-hmm. what the Summerton man is? 
I do not. That's why I sent you a message saying we're getting a lot of people asking that you explain this and I know nothing. Well, okay, I don't want to give you a full explainer because people have been asking us to do an an episode on it for a while Mm -hmm. and I'm actually glad I waited now because stuff's happening. But um, Mm -hmm. The Summerton Man is a very famous um, South Australian mystery. A -hmm. man, I think it was like 1946 or something, was found fully dressed um, dead on the beach and when they there was no identification on him, they have no idea who he is. And the only thing he had on him was a little n- note in his pocket that had been torn from a book that had this Latin phrase that mm-hmm. means, I think it means, it is finished. Mm. And so it just became like this mystery. Everyone's like, who is this man? Why does he have this thing in his pocket saying it is finished? Why? Who, mm. How did he die? What happened? People, you know, think maybe he was a spy because it was like, towards the end of the war, I think, or like just after the war had finished. And Mm. there's so many theories about who he is and it's been this enduring mystery for a long time. Mm. And South Australia police got permission to have his body exhumed. Mm -hmm. And so Caleb was actually there because he's, um, he's, you know, the uh, crime and police reporter for the Adelaide Advertiser. And um, he left at like six o'clock this morning to do an early shift and he was posting photos from the cemetery all morning. Um, So I talked to him. I was like, oh, wow, I've got like some actual breaking news, breaking news. So Mm. I talked to him about an hour ago and he said they still hadn't exhumed him because um, he was a lot deeper down than what they were anticipating and the Mm. ground is basically like solid clay at a certain point so they're having a lot of trouble getting through so when I Mm. talked to Kayla about like midday today they still hadn't got to his remains and there is a man there who thinks that he is married to a descendant of who he believes the Somerton man to be. So Mm. he was there kind of quite excited that they're going to dig him up and their plan is to use technology now that they didn't have then to see if they Mm. can get some DNA to figure out who he is. Uh The problem is, though, Caleb said he was embalmed and apparently it can be quite difficult to get DNA from a body that has been embalmed before it is buried. But they do think that they'll be able to find something to figure out who he is. And I asked Caleb, like, so do they have evidence that they're, like, do they have some DNA that they're going to try and match with? Like, what are they trying to match? If they find, if they do get DNA off him, what are they hoping to, it will reveal? And he said, no, there's no evidence. They're just hoping that enough people are in databases now that they'll get a familial hit. Ancestry.com, right, okay. Oh, So all that happened this morning. Wow. This is actually ringing some bells. Was he Iranian or something, or they speculated that he was Iranian? They did speculate that. They've speculated okay. a lot of a lot of things. Uh huh. But we're going to do it just a gist. Maybe we should do it next week. Oh, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how this goes. See what information uh-huh. comes up, and then okay. Because it's been on my list forever, and especially when I moved to Adelaide, everyone was like, "You've got to do this mm. Adelaide story," and yeah, so. That is very cool. I've got a little chill down my spine thinking about that. And cool that, like, well, not cool for Caleb because he's been there since, like, 6 a.m. and just watching a forklift try and forklift. Wait, no, not a forklift, an earth mover, a digger, a big Mm. truck thing, Mm. just try and dig things. And he's been waiting a while. So, yeah, he said he'll tell me as soon as he knows anything. Uh (gasps) Uh-huh. 
you might get a message live while we're on the air. Might get one live. Although um, mm. I don't know if I'm allowed to break any news because it's kind of his news to break. I'll be like, scooped you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first on Just the Gist. <laughs> She's got the scoop, see. <laughs> and that was pretty much all my breaking news, except that everybody needs to go and watch um, the Inspired Unemployed on Instagram did a mock mm. trailer for Byron Bay's. Have you watched yeah. it? Oh, my God. It's yes. the funniest thing I've watched all week. I was dying. I loved it so much. Thank you to everyone who sent it through to Just the Gist oh, podcast at Instagram. Amazing, amazing, mm. amazing. And that's breaking news, unless you have anything. No, I'll just go ahead and say um, apologies in advance because I can every now and then hear Billy making his demanding barks for attention. Um, so All you the may dog. hear him from time <laughs> to time. Yes. God love him. I'll post some photos of him on the Instagram so you've got a visual of how ridiculous he looks, especially when he's getting excited and jumping up and down. People keep giving me responsibilities lately, Rosie. Where is that know, coming from? Well, I mean, Myra almost trusted you with her cats but then got a cat sitter in at the last minute because she freaked out. But the Mm -hmm. fact that you're even on people's minds is quite interesting to me. You babysat that other kid the other week. I know. Um, It's... It's all very new to me and I'm flattered but surprised (laughs) that they're choosing me. Well, I mean, maybe it's because they look at you and they go, you know what, he's not just a millennial. He's a (laughs) geriatric millennial. (laughs) Surely he can handle this. (laughs) How wrong they are. How wrong that. It's like, yes, we're in our mid-30s, but, I mean, we host a podcast. Come on. (laughs) We're not we're not real responsible adults. We've got a very narrow skill set. Um, we're not good at hashtag adulting. <laughs> Ew, it's so chuggy. Oh, I said it. <laughs> I'm going to try and say it more and more. Do you think millennials trying to use chuggy is chuggy? It is, isn't it? It already is, yeah, oh, for sure. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Do, 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 do. That was breaking news. <laughs> do, 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 do. Okay, it's your story today, so I get to relax. Yes, Um, and this week I'm serving you the story of Dyatlov Pass, which Mm. sounds like it could be a volleyball manoeuvre or a sex position, but is in fact one of the world's favourite unsolved mysteries. Somehow this week turned into Unsolved Mystery Week on Just the Gist. Yeah, it kind of has, hasn't it? Yeah, unintentionally, you did DB Cooper. Yeah. I'm serving you the Dyatlov Pass mystery. No, but it's good because Dyatlov Pass is one people have asked us to do Mm. and has been on my list, but I sort of don't know a whole heap about it. Like I see it, like I've read a little bit about it, but um, I do notice when it comes up in the news and it's been in the news a bit. Recently. Is that why you decided yes. to do it now? Yeah, bumped it to the top of my list. I mean, just to give you some insight into our process, Gistners, we both are typically working on four to five different episodes at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this was one that I already had on the go. And then the New Yorker brought out an article last week, which was sort of highlighting the fact that the Russian government has confirmed their explanation for the mystery once and for all. Oh. And that's what has brought it to a lot of people's attention because they thought that the government, well, very few people actually were aware that the Russian government had opened up an investigation back in 2019 to try to get to the bottom of this. Well, the Russian government are quite like... Cagey. Yes. Mm. Oh, snap. Famously. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) So they don't 
They don't say things, do they? No. Okay. The kgkgb KGB as they were. Okay, so that's why I've seen it in the news because there was an article. Yes. Alrighty. So, for those of you who don't know, and this is a very famous story, so there might be a lot of you who are familiar, but the Dyatlov Pass incident, as it's best known, um, is essentially unexplained death of nine hikers who were in the mountains on the western border of Siberia. And it's captured a lot of people's attention over the last six decades because there are just so many different explanations for what happened to them because when their bodies were discovered, it was in such bizarre circumstances. Mm. So I'll commence the story in February of 1959. This was when Russia was part of the Soviet Union Mm -hmm. and a rescue party was sent out to find this group of hikers who'd gone out on a pretty adventurous trek into the wilds of the Ural Mountains and they hadn't come back. So were they just just like recreational hikers? Just like, let's do this for fun. They were taking this very seriously because completing this hike meant that they would become a level three hiker, which meant that they would get their masters of sport certification. Oh, right. But I mean, like they weren't like um, part of the army or anything. Like they were just people who liked to hike. That's right. But serious. Most of them were students, but they were very, very serious about it. Yeah. For a bit of context, back then, they weren't allowed to leave the Soviet Union. These were Mm. young people who had the travel bug, but they could only travel within the Soviet Union. They were not allowed to leave their country at all. So they were doing the most adventurous things that they could do within the confines of that border. Mm. They were meant to get home on the 12th of February. Day by day, people started to get more and more concerned about the fact that they hadn't made it home on the 12th. Mm-hmm. And then their family started to get more and more insistent that the government do something to try to find them because they had to be out there somewhere. Yeah. And the risk that they were in trouble was getting worse and worse by the day. So the search went out on the 20th of February and initially they were very optimistic that they were going to find the hikers alive somewhere. But Days passed Mm. and their hopes started to dwindle because they weren't finding anything and then their hope pretty much evaporated when on the 26th of February, six days later, they found the group's empty abandoned tent on a mountainside. It was a few kilometres off course from where they were meant to be and it was covered. Sorry. Is it it really cold? Because it's like February in Russia, isn't it? like? Height of winter up the top of a very high mountain. So overnight, temperatures frequently would drop to minus 40 degrees Celsius. Yes, okay. So that's cold. Yeah. (laughs) And I will never find myself in conditions like that ever, I can guarantee you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. The tent was covered in a layer of snow, but it was still standing perfectly upright. And when they entered the tent by cutting a hole into the side of it, they found that everything was still laid out very neatly inside. Almost all of their belongings were there, including their boots. There was even plates Mm -hmm. of food that had been laid out waiting Mm -hmm. to be eaten. So it was pretty obvious that the tent had just been abandoned in a hurry. Oh, it's so spooky. Yeah. It's like a Blair Witch type thing came and they all just ran. Yeah. And wait till you get to hear a few more of the details because this gets more and more freaky from here. All of their valuables were still in the tent as well. So it didn't seem like there'd been any sort of robbery. No one had looted the tent. The latches at the entrance were still fastened, but the rear of the tent had been slashed open. At this point, they didn't know whether the tent had been slashed from the outside or from the inside. Oh, to get out. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
Later on, once they'd sent the tent off to be examined, they figured out that it had been cut from the inside. Shut up. Mm. That is it- so creepy. Oh, mm-hmm. this is scary. Mm-hmm. What went into the tent that made someone cut their way out of it? Yeah, what would terrify someone so yeah. much that they would run out into the night? They knew that this had happened at nighttime and they weren't even wearing shoes, let alone warm clothing, in minus 40-degree weather. Mm. Something had to have terrified the life out of them to like, motivate them to do that. It's a white walker. Mm-hmm. It's like the opening scene of Game of Thrones. Yeah. So things were looking pretty grim. Chances were pretty slim that they were going to be found alive anywhere, considering that they didn't have shelter, they didn't have footwear, and the conditions were so bad for people to be outside. Mm. Around 50 metres away from the tent, they found tracks of footprints that they followed downhill towards a cluster of trees. And those footprints went for about two kilometres away from the tent. Like they put a lot of distance between themselves and their shelter. Once they got to the tree line, it didn't take them long to find the first two bodies of the hikers frozen in the snow, lying next to the remains of a small campfire. And this was when things started to get really weird from here. Over the course of the next two months, the search party found the frozen dead bodies of all nine of the hikers broken up into three different groups in different locations around the area. Most of them were barefoot and wearing nothing but their underwear. And some of them had inexplicable injuries. For example, a few of them had shattered ribs described as their chest cavity just being crushed. (gasps) A few of them had shattered skulls. Some of them had terrible burns on their body. Blair Witch, Blair Witch. It's the Blair Mm -hmm. Witch. It's Blair Witch. (laughs) We're definitely going to get into the theories and witchcraft is one of them. One of their hearts had basically exploded in her chest. Two of the bodies were missing their eyeballs and one of them was missing her tongue. (gasps) It was reported as well that the skin and hair on the bodies was strangely discoloured. Some of them were like a deep ochery red sort of colour. Some of them were yellow and some of them were a purplish green. Aliens. Aliens. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's on the theory list as well. Okay. A little bit of information was reported about these findings in the media and, of course, it struck people as being very, very suspicious. Additional details started to come through. For example, radiation was detecting on some of the clothing that was found on the Mm. bodies. Their clothes were radioactive with Mm. no explanation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Reports were coming through that there had been strange lights seen in the sky around the time that the hikers disappeared. They found some bomb and rocket debris in the area as well. And like I said, the thing that really caught people's attention was when they reported that the tent had been cut from the inside. Inside. They'd escaped out the back of the tent. Yes. So it started to get attention, which motivated the KGB, the Mm -hmm. Soviet Security and Intelligent Department, to swoop in and take control of the situation. They sent some investigators out to figure out what had happened. And after less than two weeks of investigation on May 28th, 1959, they just announced that there'd been no criminal activity at play. They said that the hikers had just simply died of an unknown compelling natural force. And then they closed the case, made all of the files classified and told the families of the hikers to just stop asking questions, which... Unknown, compelling, natural force. 
mm-hmm. is like saying that's just like saying it's a really cool mystery Mm -hmm. and that's all we're going to tell you. And that wet a lot of people's appetite. What the heck is an unknown, compelling, natural force? Just say it was a bear. Like why would you say that? Why would you describe it that way if you don't want people looking into it? (laughs) Well, this is, okay. So the fact that the KGB did so much to try to cover this up is what makes some people so certain that the KGB were responsible for the whole thing. Whereas for me, I sort of go, okay, well, the fact they've actually done a lot here that hasn't thrown people off the scent of suspecting the KGB. Um, So we'll get into all of the different theories, but I mean, it is kind of weird that they just tried to clamp all information on this case down Mm. for as long as possible. But that was kind of their style. The KGB didn't release much information and their point of view was that they just had to prove that there was no criminal activity. If they didn't believe that a human had caused these injuries and these deaths, then they were tapping out. They weren't interested in finding the actual answer. Okay, sure. Mm. Some more suspicious things that they did, they banned anyone from going into that area of the Ural Mountains for the next three years. Mm, They banned villages in nearby communities from going hunting anywhere Mm. near that three-kilometre radius. Um, And they also told them they weren't allowed to drink water from their village as well. And they had to bring water in from outside sources. So they obviously suspected that there was more to this story, but they weren't willing to acknowledge it. Yes, there's something radiation-y happening then, right, Mm. if they don't want them to drink the water. Seems that way. But radiation doesn't crush people's rib cages and pull out their eyeballs. Mm Mm-mm. Yep. So, of course, people were very, very, very suspicious in Russia and in the USSR at the time. This was sort of like their version of the JFK assassination, everyone's favourite conspiracy to come up with theories about. And then the case really exploded globally in the early 90s after the Soviet Union collapsed and all of the KGB's documents were declassified and released, which meant that the world then had access to the group's diaries. They'd been taking very detailed journals because that was part of the certification process that they had to go through to become level three hikers. They had access to all of the photos that they'd been taking to document their little adventure. They had the autopsy reports. They had the forensic files. So ever since all of this information was released, people have been going through it all with a fine tooth comb to try to figure out what had happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's a lot that does not add (laughs) up. Tell me, tell me, tell me. So here we are in 2021. It's now been more than 30 years that people have been coming up with different theories about what happened to this group of nine hikers, which is, it's like a riddle. Yeah. Yeah. described a little bit of it so far um, and people want to be the one to figure out the solution to this riddle. More than 75 unique theories have solidified and there are people who are galvanised behind their favourite of the 75 theories. Um, Over time, pressure has grown and grown for the Russian authorities to reopen the case and settle the matter once and for all, which they did at the beginning of 2019. They said, fine, we're going to reopen the investigation. Mm -hmm. And then in July of 2020, their findings were revealed, which I think now that people are reporting less on COVID and reporting less on, you know, QAnon Mm -hmm. and the US election, people are going, oh, wait, 
the Russian government made an announcement halfway through last year that most of us missed. Yes, well, that's also like we all forgot that last year the um, CIA confirmed that UFOs exist. Yeah. (laughs) And then in the last few days, because I think they reported that in like April of last year and we were all just like, yeah, worldwide pandemic, see ya. And then Mm -hmm. in the last few days, the... um, previous like Navy fighter pilots who saw all the UFOs were like, why didn't anyone listen to us? So they started Mm. doing like interviews. So it's all coming out in the news again. And we were all like, oh yeah. We just (laughs) time to revisit that. We discovered UFOs last year. There's so much Mm. cool news from last year that just like got lost. Yeah. It's just bubbling up to the surface now. Okay. Before I tell you the explanation that the Russian government announced, I'm going to walk you through some of the most popular theories, obviously, this being just the gist. We're not going through all 75. Witchcraft, aliens, they're top (laughs) of my list. Or the government did something dodgy with radiation. That's absolutely on the list. an axe murderer. Yeah. Or just a a big bear. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, go, go, go. Go you one better than the bear. All right, before I get into the theories, just a few quick details about the group. Uh So this, they called the Dyatlov group after their leader, a guy called Igor Dyatlov. Yeah. And they started off as a group of nine students. They all went to the same university. They were all aged between 20 and 24. They were all as experienced at hiking as you can be at that age. They were all keen to become masters of sport. They were all level two already, so they were quite competent and Mm -hmm. experienced. Just as they were about to leave, they had a last-minute addition to the group. Uh A 38-year-old ex-soldier covered in tattoos with stainless steel caps on his teeth named Semyon asked if he could join their adventure because he wanted to become a level three hiker as well. Semyon's dodge, say no. Semyon's dodge, guys. They agreed and he joined their group. So now there were 10 of them until a few days later when one of the students, a guy called Yuri Yudin, had to turn back and go home on his own because of some medical issues that oh, he was having. Oh, lucky Yuri. Mm. He was absolutely crushed at the time, but his sciatica flare-up really did save his life. <sighs> So they were back to being a group of nine and on the 29th of January, they started the hardest part of their trek, crossing a mountain peak, which at the time didn't have a name. They just called it peak number 1079. It's now Dyatlov Pass after Dyatlov and his group of hikers who went missing there. The locals in that area called that peak Dead Mountain, which of course a lot of people think was a very ominous sign. The local people explain that it's really just to do with the fact that it's a very barren environment and there's nothing there worth hunting. So it's their way of acknowledging that there's no point going to that area, but hmm, it could just be a likely story, yeah. Yeah, you know some effed up history. The locals always know all the ghost stories. Mm Mm-hmm. So the night between February 1st and February 2nd was when all nine of the hikers died. We know this because that was when their diary entries stopped. okay. The cause of death for six of them was listed as being hypothermia. The other mm-hmm. three were recorded as having died from the massive injuries that I described. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When they were found, like I said, they were in three different groups. Mm-hmm. And the KGB went to no effort to try to provide any sort of explanation for what happened beyond there was no crime committed. So, of course, people wanted to fill in the blanks for themselves, become mm-hmm armchair investigators Mm. 
And the first theory that gained popularity was that the local Mansi tribe had attacked them. So the Mansi are one of 14 different tribes that are indigenous to Siberia. Siberia, for those of you who don't know, wasn't always part of Russia. Russia colonized it, essentially. Mm. And because the Mansi culture wasn't very well understood, it makes sense that they were the first people that they kind of pointed the fingers at. Mm -hmm. The reason that it was sort of initially popular that the Mansi had potentially snuck up to the campsite in the middle of the night and done something to terrify the hikers Racism, and maybe obviously. attack them. That's Bigotry. a big part of it. <laughs> yes. The hikers had been writing in their journals quite a bit about how fascinated they were by the symbols that the Mansi people would carve into trees mm -hmm. in the forest. They had no understanding of what it meant, but a lot of people who were reading the diaries thought, well, maybe they're carving some really ominous witchcrafty things yeah. into those trees. Uh -huh. A few of the Mansi were even arrested and interrogated <laughs> by the KGB. Luckily, though, the KGB did debunk this theory fairly quickly yeah. because the Mansi had always been very peaceful in nature. They were always super helpful to explorers who ventured anywhere into their territory. They were more than happy to share their food and share their campsites whenever needed. Mm. Um, they'd even volunteered to help in the search party to find the hikers mm -hmm. as well because they knew the area the best. Also, the theory had been that the hikers had unknowingly set up camp on a sacred site on Dead Mountain, which the Mansi said, um, no, that's absolutely not our sacred site. We've got a perfectly good one of those a couple of hundred kilometres away. Yeah. That's where we go and pray. Um, and all of the symbols on the trees were just to do with hunting sites. So that one was debunked pretty okay. quickly, even though that had captured people's imagination right off the bat that, oh, yes, it must be these you know, oh, unsophisticated yes. tribes exactly. people attacking and chasing off our sophisticated superior no, nope, wrong. Mm. Racist theory, incorrect. Next. They then pivoted to the idea of you said axe murderer. Yes, an yeah. escaped prisoner was and still is for some people a popular theory. Yeah, because it there sounds was a, like that. Mm, there was well, a prison camp not far away. The, uh, yeah, the only reason I think that is because for them to cut their way out of the inside of their tent means something had to come in through the entry of the tent something scary that made them want to run. So mm -hmm. wouldn't that be like either an animal or a scary axe murderer from mm -hmm. a nearby prison camp? I mean, the prison camps that we're talking about, then known as gulags, they were known for driving people insane. insane. And if yeah. one or two people had managed to escape and somehow survive in the wilderness, who knows what they would have been capable of and mm -hmm. what their mental state would have been. Yeah. So a lot of people thought that it was credible that they had been stalked by one or more of these escaped prisoners yeah. who'd attacked in the middle of the night and then had, you know, inflicted a lot of these really terrible injuries on the hikers mm -hmm. and left them to die in the woods yeah, or cold. See, that is very likely until I go, well, what about the radiation on the clothes? Yeah. And that's a question we'll ask frequently. <laughs> That doesn't account or, for radiation. I mean, I assume at those prisons they'd treat them like work camps, wouldn't they? So yep. maybe they made the prisoners deal a lot in radiation stuff. So maybe they, like, touched the clothes. Oh, okay. Potentially. Right. Yeah. However, the only footprints that were found anywhere near the campsite or out in the forest were the footprints of the hikers and the KGB mm. said, although of course they would say they didn't have any records of escaped prisoners from the camp nearby, 
Plus, people tended to die in gulags more than escape. It was pretty infrequent that people would make it out of there. Okay. Okay. Then next, there's the theory that was the first one that came to mind for me, which was that they were high and or drunk. Yes. Because there are some pretty powerful magic mushrooms that grow in that part Uh, of the Ural Mountains. Yeah. And these mushrooms can have a very, very potent effect. They can also be very, very toxic. Um, Mm -hmm. The Mansi have an interesting technique for how they ingest the shrooms for their special ceremonies. They feed the mushrooms to their reindeer. They herd reindeer. Yeah. And the reindeer's kidneys and liver and stuff remove the toxins and Ah. then they just pee out the psychotropic elements of the mushrooms and the Mansi drink the pee and then they go on a trip. If you weren't aware of this process and you just ate the mushrooms because you decided to have a bit of fun and indulge, then you might go on a really bad yeah, trip. destructive trip yeah. um, that would cause hallucinations. Yeah. yeah, you might head out into the night either in like a fun sensory exploration sort of way or maybe in a bad trip panicky sort of way. So in that theory, do they think that maybe they cause the injuries to each other? Potentially, like yes. started seeing each other as enemies and like yep. um, Homer Simpson and Mr Burns in that episode where they get locked in the snow cabin? Yes. That is most popular with people who think that they drank moonshine Uh, and that moonshine had driven them insane. Yeah. Yes, and could potentially have blinded them as well. So it may have completely clouded their judgment, made them violent towards each other, and that may account for the condition they were found in and where they were found. But... If they were super serious about getting to this level three hiking thing, Mm. why would they ruin or risk their chances by taking hallucinogenic mushrooms or moonshine? Exactly. Aren't they dorky hikers? Yeah. They're very like clean living, virtuous, healthy, young Soviets. And the autopsies showed no traces of alcohol in their bloodstream Mm. or any drugs. And like you say, like they weren't going to risk their accreditation. This meant a lot to them. So I think we can leave that one. The evidence that people point to that potentially the group had ruptured and they'd been attacking each other is basically to do with the fact that two of the hikers used to date each other before the trip and three of the boys had declared that they had a crush on the same girl. Just to clarify, there were seven males and two females on this trip. Oh, I thought it was all males. Mm -mm. It was two girls. Was anything particularly worse done to either gender? (sighs) The answer to that is yes because one of the worst, uh, well, the woman who had the exploded heart, missing her eyeballs and missing her tongue was named Ludmilla. Oh, so that was a woman. She seemed to have the worst of the injuries. Yes. Mm. And an exploded heart. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. All right. Okay. Next. The next theory. We're getting into X-Files territory with the next couple of theories. Aliens. Aliens. Well, before we get to aliens, let's talk about Yeti. Because this, to this <laughs> okay. day, this is still one of the most popular theories that the Yeti must be responsible. Which is like a Bigfoot. Exactly, yeah. yes. Okay. Like every civilization around the world, the Mansi have legends about giant hairy beasts that walk yeah. on two legs, live alone in the forest, just like Sasquatch in North America and the Yowie here in yeah. Australia. 
So, of course, someone was going to blame the Yeti or Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. Now, people believe this one because the Mansi legends are of very aggressive types of Yetis that do attack people and have yeah. superhuman strength. And so they can cause injuries as grievous as the injuries that the Dyatlov hikers suffered. Also, because the hikers had written as a joke a satirical newspaper article in their journal saying that they had discovered that the snowman was real living on Mount O'Torton. But some people think that that was not a joke, that it was actually serious. How do you know it's a joke? Because the whole um, newspaper that they'd written was all through a very satirical sort of lens. Okay. Mm. So, I mean, the only thing that, because this, the only thing that prevents this theory from being true is that there's no such thing as yetis, right? But if there was such things as yetis, it's quite a likely theory. Correct. And, yes, you do have to believe in yetis and Sasquatch, etc., to believe this. You know how there's that famous photo of the Bigfoot in North America? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. There is a famous photo from one of the cameras of the Dyatlov group, which people point to and say that is a photo of a Yeti. This is by far the most compelling evidence. I want to look it up right now. Hold on. I've got to look this up right now. Where in the... Can you describe it? So it's like... A picture that's been taken in the snow. Mm-hmm. And so there's just snow all over the ground. There's trees and the trees are covered in snow. And then in the background of the picture, a little blurry but definitely clear enough to see what it is, is a hairy-looking man creature. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know that scene in a very famous film scene. It's called one of the scariest film moments of all time in the movie Signs when the alien walks past the window and you get a split-second view of it. That's Mm. what it looks like. It looks like a black, shadowy Yeti man Mm -hmm. in the snow. Yes, because it looks completely dark, like it could be covered in fur from head to toe. It does look very tall. It looks like it's sort of lurching out of the forest. This could, to be fair, also be an axe murderer. Like Mm. it looks very Mm human-esque because it's like a dark shadowy figure so you can't tell if it's just shadow or hair, fur. It could also just be one of the hikers who'd gone into the forest for a pee and was coming back. Dude, it looks like a Yeti man though. Mm-hmm. You're not alone in believing that? Yes. In addition to the photographic evidence, which a lot of people still find very compelling, uh, there is also the fact that the two bodies that were found next to the fire in the yeah. forest, yeah. one of the trees that was nearby to them had had almost all of the branches ripped off it up to a height oh. of four metres, which make, makes people think, okay, either the two guys man. would... yeah. They'd been trying to climb the tree to get away from him and he'd just been ripping out the branches <gasps> to try to get to them. Oh, that's so scary. Yeah. Oh, my God. Plus there's the fact that one of the um, forensic autopsy reports said that the people whose chest had been crushed, it was like they'd been hit by a car going 120 kilometres an hour. <gasps> like the force of impact was extraordinary. Yes. So mm. really if you believe in yetis, it's pretty likely it was a yeti. Mm-hmm. So they think that the Yeti was waiting day after day to attack them, which was mm. why that photo was taken a few days before he finally, or she finally took her moment. Yeah, don't be um, sexist. 
tried to a, open. It could be a kick-ass girl boss yeti. <laughs> <laughs> yes, queen. Yes, could be a matriarchal society and she's the one who's gone out for the hunt, just like with lions. Mm-hmm. Tried to open up the buckles on the tent. They didn't have a zipper. They just had buckles, struggled with that. Mm-hmm. And while she was struggling, they cut their way out of the back of the tent, tried to run away, but then she caught up with them and one by one just took them all down. People then build on that theory by saying that the reason the KGB then tried to cover it up was because the Yeti had once upon a time been a human that was mutated because of exposure to radiation. Radiation. Oh, it all Mm -hmm. fits. It all fits. It's a convenient explanation. Um, And I love entertaining the idea that there are some giant species of ape humanoid out there somewhere hiding from us intentionally. And one day I would actually really love to do a whole episode dedicated to all the different myths about that. In the meantime, if you're into horror fiction, there's a fantastic book that I read last year called Devolution, which is based on that premise that Mm. some Sasquatches are forced out of their hiding place in Seattle and they start battling with humans. It sounds really cheesy, but it's actually really like goosebumpy. Is it? Yeah, the modern planet of the apes is apes is in San Francisco, and it's these apes, and they battle the human. That is literally like the this plot of the recent Planet of the Apes movies. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that had Mark Wahlberg in it, so I'm not going to watch it. Did it? Didn't it? The recent ones did. Oh, I don't know. Doesn't. I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> All right, next. Get to Sorry, the witches. Felix. Witches and aliens. Okay. Aliens next. Okay. Of course, there would be some people who would try to explain this away with alien responsibility. Mm-hmm. The evidence that they cling to are the reports of glowing orange orbs in the sky in the weeks surrounding the group's death. Mm-hmm. They were sort of spherical, glowing, pulsating sp- stuff. Lights. Inexplicable UFOs. appearances, yeah, yeah, that people said could easily be UFOs. The final photo on one of the hikers' cameras seems to be like it could be of one of those mysterious Ooh, orbs, really? although some people just think that it's a lens flare. Yeah. The top of a whole bunch of trees in the woods nearby had been strangely burnt and they had no <gasps> explanation for how or why that had happened. Spaceship, Plus, spaceship. Mm-hmm. They love to point out the fact that an alien spaceship would be radioactive and that would explain the radioactive clothing. And also it would explain the weird injuries, like the aliens were like testing, you know, the limits of the human body and like how, Mm -hmm. what to do and how to do things. You you know what I mean? Maybe Mm -hmm. testing some weapons that explode hearts. Yes. Doing some probing and testing out some new hardware that they had. Um, Why did you go straight to probing? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that what everyone always claims happens to them when they're kidnapped? Yeah. Anyone who had been kidnapped by an alien got probed up the bum. Isn't that what they all say? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so they may have been in their tent. They could Mm. see the lights of the UFO from outside. Even that might have been enough to motivate them to just cut the tent open and run off into the night. Well, hey, if it's shining in from the entrance side, yeah. You'd be well and truly freaked out, of course. There's a slightly more credible and very popular version of this story that replaces the UFO and the aliens with the military. This theory is that they'd set up camp unknowingly in a weapons testing area Mm. that the Soviets were running and trying to keep very hush-hush. They'd been woken up by bomb blasts in the middle of the night. 
They got outside. There were some more bomb blasts that, you know, the impact caused their broken bones, their discolored Uh, skin and the radiation. And then that makes sense, doesn't it? mm Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty. And then when the bodies were found, the military moved them so that they looked like they'd just died in the wilderness. Ah. Mm. That accounts for the burnt trees, the lights in the sky, the bomb and rocket debris that that has been found injuries, and also would explain the KGB's desire to cover all of this up as well. Of course, the Russian government denies that this happened. And of course they would do that. Yes. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) cough Chernobyl, like they deny everything happens. (laughs) So, Mm. yeah. So most Russian people believe that this is the explanation, that these kids somehow had stumbled into an area where they shouldn't be. And so the government had done something to try to shut them up. Russians are very, very sceptical people. They're very mistrusting of their government. And they're mistrusting of governments globally. More than 75% of them apparently believe that the moon landing was totally faked. Yeah, okay. That the whole thing was fraudulent. Yeah. Some people will take an even bigger step than that and... When I say some people, this includes Yuri Yudin, the guy who'd started the hike Ooh. with the group and then had had to turn back. Yeah. He lived until 2013. Yeah. And from the 90s onwards, he made a few statements saying that he really believed that the group had been targeted by the KGB for Ooh, some reason. Really? Yes. Yeah, so as opposed to them stumbling across a secret military site, his theory and the theory of others was that someone in the group or maybe a couple of them were an undercover spy working for the CIA, possibly and most probably the 38-year-old random ex-soldier who joined the group at the last minute. minute. Yeah. Ah. So the theory is that the KGB had tracked them down knowing that the hike was just a cover for a secret rendezvous with a CIA handler who'd been able to, I guess, fly in or parachute in in the dead of night. Mm. I mean, maybe, but Mm. wouldn't he have ever noticed anything does he say like well in hindsight some weird stuff happened in the group like wouldn't he does does he have anything other than that guy turned up that's his main yeah that was the crux of his argument that so he's saying he's been doing them probably for this reason he's been doing these hikes with these people for ages he's been close to them he's slept in a tent with them they've what do you call it not rehearsed like practice how do you practice for a hike you know what I mean they've prepared (laughs) together mm. all that stuff and he didn't suspect or notice or think anything was askew Mm -hmm. hey in Soviet era Russia I think people were you know willing to distrust each other very readily anyone could be a spy or a KGB informant at the very least Russia's still nuts I mean they literally like the one guy running against um, their president Putin. was like there was an attempted assassination on him, and then they put him in prison. Like they don't even Russia's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're not known the for their transparency. They get away around with. Yeah, like like mm. it's, they don't even try to hide it. Mm-hmm. And so th- that's today. Imagine how bad it was back then. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, but Yuri Yudin, he really believed that the reason that Ludmilla was missing her tongue and her eyes and why one of the other group was missing their eyeballs was because those were torture techniques that were used <gasps> by the KGB back then. Um, that, seem, if- that seems quite likely. Mm -hmm. There were reports that a lot of the bodies had um, bruises on them that were a few days old before the bodies had actually died. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there are a lot of things that that theory sort of intertwines to tie it up fairly neatly. But how many people does he think were in on it? Is it like he was the only one who wasn't a spy in the whole group of hikers? His belief was even if there were no other spies in the group, it would have been assumed by the KGB that everyone was in on it. Right. So why didn't they ever come after him then? Just because he wasn't there that night, they knew he was part of the group. Maybe they realised their mistake and realised that there was no point going after him as well. I got to say, I find the Yeti theory more likely than this one. (laughs) (laughs) So... I was really blown away at how many people do believe this one, though. And some of the other things that they point to are the fact that the KGB took very tight control over the funerals that the hikers received. They limited the attendance. They tried to do everything they could to limit the amount of information that was disseminated via the media. They had KGB agents there to guard the morgue where the bodies were autopsy, Mm -hmm. which was not normal protocol at all. Yuri Yudin was brought in to identify all of the group's belongings that were Mm. found on the bodies and in the tents. And he said that there were a few things there that did not belong to the group that had been planted there. When Mm. he identified them as not belonging to anyone in the group, they mysteriously disappeared. Mm. Also, the lead investigator, once he'd made his announcement that it was an unknown, compelling natural force, they sent him off to work in Kazakhstan for the next 30 years. So no one heard from him that entire time. Yeah. Okay. So they made themselves look very guilty. I will say, though, I think it's more likely that it was they accidentally walked into a testing secret zone. weapon mm. testing zone than that they targeted. Because the one thing that makes me think Yuri's theory is wrong is that the Russian government doesn't care about what things look like. If they mm. had thought everybody was in on it, so tortured and killed them all, they would have gone and tortured and killed him too. They would have just mm-hmm. gone to him house, his house and got him. They mm-hmm. wouldn't have cared. So yeah, the one thing that debunks his theory is that he's alive to have the theory, mm. I think. That's a very good point. I also go, okay, if they had killed these people, they could have made the bodies just completely disappear. There was no need to go to all of this effort. Plus, the Russians have acknowledged some of the horrendous things that the Soviets did. Like, they conducted mass genocide. They slaughtered groups of hundreds of protesters Mm. at a time. They tortured and experimented on prisoners. They've admitted to all of that. What was so special about this particular group that they feel like they still need to save face and keep up appearances? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, Mm. yeah, I just don't think that's... Likely. Yeah, I don't get behind that one. But like I said at the beginning, they came through with an explanation that helped to absolve themselves of guilt, the Russian government. And so their official ruling was that it was an avalanche all along. And for a long time, there had been sensible people. An avalanche? An avalanche, yes. What? Yep. So this, this was a theory that people had that... In the middle of the night, they'd been woken up by an avalanche, cut their way out of the tent and then run off 
or been carried away by the force of the snow coming down the hill. That could explain some of the injuries to the bodies and the fact that the bodies were in different locations. And also the lack of footprints. Yeah. Well, Mm. mm, if they'd been carried. Close to the tent. Yeah. Mm. By the snow. Anyway. So there was no record of an avalanche happening before or after this incident. Mm. Also, it was believed that the incline on which they'd set up the tent was not steep enough for an avalanche to happen. Mm -hmm. But as part of this Russian investigation reopening this, they figured out that in actual fact, where the tent had been set up, it was on an incline of 30 degrees as opposed to an incline of 16 degrees. Mm -hmm. And that when they'd pitched the tent, they'd dug out a flat surface in the deep snow and essentially cut into it as a right angle and created a wall next to themselves Mm -hmm. when they entered in these conditions into a computer code that had been used to animate no shit the snow in the frozen movies (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) that proved their theory that something called a slab avalanche could have fallen onto the tent and caused some of their injuries yeah okay so think about the size and weight of a jeep falling on top of the tent and crushing some of their rib cages and their skulls, but potentially just at the front end of the tent, which stopped them from exiting out the entrance and forced them to cut their way out the back of the tent. But was the tent crushed when they found it? No. That's why I don't buy this. (laughs) Yes. I'll post photos of the tent from the day that it was found. And as you can see, it is still standing. Yes, there is snow on it, but we're talking about snow that falls flake by flake. Yeah. Not a slab the size of a car. And had a slab fallen on top of the tent, then where did it go? Also, why was everything in the tent still very neatly laid out and very Mm. barely disturbed, certainly not crushed? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Also, given the extent of the injuries that they say the slab avalanche would have caused, how would these people have then managed to walk more than two kilometres with crushed skulls and crushed rib cages? And why Um, did her heart explode and her eyeballs mm, come out mm, two kilometres away? Yeah, so that really doesn't add up and I am not the only one who thinks that. When the Russian government came out with this explanation, most people who've been researching this incident just said (laughs) bullshit. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Yeah, that's not true. The theory that I think is most believable, Mm. and I actually think this is the scariest of all the theories that has been proposed, this is outlined in a book that I read called Dead Mountain by an American called Donnie Iker. And he had been studying the Dyatlov Pass for more than five years. He went and retraced the hiker's steps as well. Mm. He's interviewed anyone who is still alive Mm. and is willing to provide testament. It's a really fascinating book if you want to take a deep dive. Basically, Mm. this theory that he and other experts came up with is a natural phenomena involving catabatic winds, calm and vortex streets and infrasound. And in simple, simple terms, the best way to explain that is some very wild weather caused some fluke conditions that made the hikers go temporarily insane with fear. Oh. Mm. So, explain. All right. The place where they had pitched their tent on the mountain yeah. was just out of bad luck, the worst place in the world that they could have been that night. Yeah. Okay. 
So they'd spent the afternoon setting up their tent and then they were getting ready for bed, preparing their dinner, getting ready to set up the travel stove to keep them warm overnight. Most of them had stripped out of their wet clothing they'd been wearing all day. So they were just wearing their undergarments like long johns and skivvies. And outside the wind started to pick up speed very quickly Uh to the point where it was moving at 40 metres per second. And it was coming from the exact opposite side of the mountain to where they were camping, which Mm -hmm. meant that the wind had to go around the dome-shaped mountain and up over the top of it and back down again. And if you picture river rapids, the water in a river can be moving quite quickly and then when it comes up against a rock, it gets all churned up because it has to go to either side and around over the top, creates little whirlpools and turbulence. That's what the air was doing on either side of their tent. It was So they're just getting hit from wind in every which way. Yeah, mini tornadoes they're described as, getting faster and faster and louder and louder. Like when you're in the city and um, it doesn't seem that windy but then you walk between two buildings and all of a sudden Mm -hmm. it's like you're in a wind tunnel. Yes. So they're just getting hit with a gazillion wind tunnels because of Mm -hmm. where they're sitting on the mountain. Would have been completely deafening. It would have been (sighs) like having 20 garbage trucks on either side of the tent creating this really intense vibrating noise. And in addition to that audible sound, the wind movement against the mountain would have caused something called infrasound. So we've all heard of ultrasound. That's sound at a frequency wavelength that's too high pitch for us to hear. Infrasound is at too lower pitch for us to be able to hear. Our eardrums can't translate the vibrations into audible sound, but it can have an effect on the body regardless because it makes the little hairs in your ear vibrate and it makes the water in your eyes vibrate as well. And when it's really intense, it can cause very, very terrible distress in people. It can cause really bad anxiety, nausea, dread, grief, and it can cause people to have full-blown panic attacks. About 25% of people are super susceptible to infrasound. I'm certain that I'm one of them. Um, Is it um, kind of like when you get the sensation that you can't hear bass but you can feel it, like like from Mm. like but times a bazillion, obviously? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. It can be man-made and it has been used as like a weapon of war in close-range combat as well. And it can happen in nature if the right elements come together. And on this night, there are experts who believe that inside the tent they were not just experiencing the effect of the super fast wind and tornadoes, but also the infrasound. Everyone in that tent would have been super, super tense. It would have just taken one person panicking and yelling avalanche for them all to very willingly evacuate. And so they would have slashed open the tent, got out of the path of the potential avalanche coming towards them, headed down the hill to the safety of the forest. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't have been able to see much of anything. They wouldn't have been able to hear each other. So it makes sense that they ended up being split up into three smaller groups. Two of the guys got to the tree line like I said, two kilometres away from the tent. Once they felt like they were safe, that's when they would have realised that they were super effed if they didn't do something to keep themselves warm, which was why they went ahead and broke and cut as many branches off the cedar tree nearby that they could to make themselves a fire. It's worth noting here the hikers all made sure that they had matches on them at all times. They would sew matches into their underwear to make sure they always had them. Mm -hmm. 
They built the fire, they huddled as close to it as they could, but it wouldn't have been enough to keep them alive because this is a very cruel twist of fate here. When your body is experiencing hypothermia, which they would have been in the early stages Mm. of, if heat is reintroduced to the body too quickly, the body freaks out and tries to cool itself down by sweating, which just speeds up the loss of heat. Yes. Oh, no. That would have had a soporific effect on them. It would have made them go to sleep. And as they were dozing off, they would have been trying desperately to warm themselves up while losing sensation in their extremities, which was why they had put their hands and their legs into the fire because they were so cold. (gasps) They were not just experiencing numbness as well. They would have been experiencing delirium. One of the guys, when he was found, he had a chunk of his own knuckle in his mouth because he'd obviously been trying to test for sensation and bitten right through (gasps) the knuckle he couldn't feel. But, okay, broken ribs, exploding heart, eyeballs, explain. We'll get to those ones. So the next group of three... They seem to have made it to the forest tree line as well. And then they realised, okay, there's not an avalanche coming and our best chance of survival is to get back to the tent. So it seems that they turned around and one by one, as they were crawling their way back up the mountain, hypothermia would have settled in, Mm. frozen their muscles, and they would have just died there on the spot. They were a few hundred metres away from each other. So, yeah, they'd kept going when one of them had fallen. One of those three had a terribly fractured skull, which could have just been the result of falling on a rock, which if he was lucky, that would have just knocked him unconscious and then he would have died in his sleep. But also they do say that dying of hypothermia is actually quite a peaceful way to go because you Mm -hmm. all of a sudden get very warm and then you just fall asleep. Mm. So... Because I've been wanting to do just the gist on Everest for a while. And the mm-hmm. crazy thing about Everest is when a lot of the people up there are going into serious hypothermic shock and are going to die, they get really hot. And so they take, start taking off all their clothes. Yeah. Yeah, they call that paradoxical undressing and there are some people who think that that may have happened to this group because they hadn't set their fire for the night, they hadn't set up their stove for whatever reason, that they became very cold inside the tent, started to experience hypothermia and thought they needed to get outside and cool down because they were feeling like they were overheating. That's been debunked by a lot of people. Yeah, but I mean, I think my point is that it's, Apparently, it's quite a peaceful way to go Mm. in the snow. Mm. If you do get hypothermia in the snow, you kind of just fall asleep, apparently. Mm. Well, let's talk about the four that definitely didn't die in peaceful circumstances. (laughs) The final four bodies that they found. So these were the ones that were found not until May, and they weren't found until then because of the fact that their bodies were covered by so much snow that they needed to wait until spring had kicked in and some of the snow had melted. Mm. That four, they'd made it into the forest as well and decided that they needed to seek some decent shelter. Mm. In the darkness, as they were walking along, they fell off the edge of a ravine (gasps) and they'd fallen more than 30 metres onto a bunch of jagged rocks. Oh! which would have seriously injured three of them. There's speculation that the fourth guy fell on top of the other three, which would have just made it worse. So these are the ones that had the severely crushed chest cavities and terrible skull damage. Yes. Yes. The fourth guy, it seems like he'd survived and he tried to find some of the others to get their help to carry the three injured people away. Mm. 
Because the bodies of those three were found only 75 metres away from where the fire was, they believe that he may have crawled off to the area where he could see the fire glowing in the distance, found the two friends of his dead with their hands and legs in the fire, moved them out of the fire, realised that there was nothing that he could do to save them, and then he cut away their clothing because the clothes that belonged to those those guys were then found back on the other three down at the bottom of the ravine, wrapped around them in a crude manner. Yeah, to keep warm. Yeah, exactly. When it was clear that he couldn't save the two that died fairly quickly, this final survivor had tried to carry Semyon, the guy with the tattoos and the steel teeth, the 38-year-old, tried to carry him out of the ravine, but exhaustion kicked in. And that is why those two bodies were found sort of intertwined with one trying to carry the other and the two of them trying to preserve their body heat. The explanation in this instance for why a couple of them were missing their eyeballs and one of them was missing her tongue was Mm. because as the snow had melted, their faces were essentially face down in what becomes a riverbed, a stream in the spring and summer months. So they got eaten by fish. Yes. Yeah. Or like crabs or whatever. As it had started to thaw out, yeah. Because in the autopsy, it doesn't say the tongue was ripped out. It doesn't say the tongue was cut out. It just says the tongue was missing. Same for the eyeballs. So when you read a lot of information where people use terms like cut out, ripped out, that's their own speculation. Right. Yeah. And it is, I as a true crime, like, total tragic, I will say that when bodies are dumped in rivers, etc., Mm. Um, it's the dangly extra fleshy bits that mm. um, end up not there because animals eat it, fishies and crabs and stuff. Yeah, it's the easiest eaten for them. Yeah, yep. the softest mm. bits. Yes. Oh, so, so do they think the heart was just from the impact of falling onto the jagged rocks? That's right, yes. I believe that and do you want to know why? Have you why? seen the movie Midsummer? No. Oh, my God. (laughs) Everybody who's seen it just shuddered when I said that. But it's a horror movie and there is Mm. a scene in Midsummer where people fall from a distance such as what you just mentioned Mm -hmm. and things happen that make me believe a heart could explode. Okay, you're not going to give us spoilers. That's good. I'm going to add that to the list of things Midsummer. that I need to oh, watch. Oh, no, don't. Do not add that to your list. Oh. Midsummer is a movie that when I got to the end, I wished I hadn't watched it because it's not scary like a horror movie. It is just disturbing. It's upsetting. Uh-huh. Okay. And at the end, I was like, I did not like that. <laughs> like I, could, it- I mean, maybe watch it, but... I don't know. It's by like the person. Porn no, vibes? no, no, not at all. It's by the um, same person who did Hereditary. Have you seen oh, that? Oh, yeah. No. Mm-mm. So it's um, it's that level of intensity, and but also very con- like. I, I remember I watched it with my mum, and at the end, she was so annoyed because she'd wanted to watch like some Liam Neeson movie, and I was like, "No, Midsummer. It's it's like a really hipster, cool horror movie mm. to watch." And um, at the end, me and my mum were just sitting there like, what? Like, you kind of feel like you just watched, like, it's like a a nightmare, like Mm. a a, a bizarre nightmare. Okay. Anyway, Um, we just got off track. But, I mean, 
We'll put that on the maybe Don't pile. say I didn't warn you because okay. everybody listening right now who has seen Midsummer is nodding in agreement that they wish they hadn't seen it. Okay. Well, speaking of things that terrify you and keep you awake at night, I Oof. think that this idea of these super tornadoes on either side of the tent and the infrasound causing them to go mad with mm. fear is very, very deeply disturbing. And I think it's really plausible, but I'm possibly just biased because I did enjoy the book Dead Mountain so much. I I would say I don't know if it would have caught if it didn't cause them to go mad with fear, it would have at least momentarily made them think a an avalanche, an avalanche. was coming. Yes. Like so that doesn't have to be mad with fear. And so they freaked out and they ran and mm-hmm. then they ran too far and got stuck in the cold. Like that seems Although yep. saying they went mad with fears, like really, it's much cooler. Mm. But yep. um, so that's the one you think it is. That's what I would put my money behind. But it, the jury is still out. There are so many folks who've just dedicated themselves so much to debating what did or didn't happen at Dyatlov Pass. It's like DB Cooper; they don't want the mystery yeah. to be solved because an economy has been built around this cultural phenomenon of picking apart what happened here. People have written books, they've made movies and documentaries, there's thousands of YouTube videos, there's even a video game. If, if, (laughs) if it was your weird sound phenomenon that made them go crazy, why were the tops of the trees burned like a spaceship had landed on them? Good point, yes. See what I mean? There's loose ends in all of them. Every explanation leaves something unexplained, yes. And I forgot to mention as well, the lead investigator at the time, the one who was shafted off to Kazakhstan after he'd made his announcement, in the 90s he apologised to the families and said he didn't want to be that vague but he had to follow orders and keep things very vague. And he said that he believed that the military were out there testing heat rays and Mm. that accounted for the burns in the trees as well as testing other arsenal. And he believed that they may have decided, oh, look, here's a group of test dummies who's just wandered into our territory, so let's go ahead and use them. Yeah. It would have been very difficult if that were the case for them to cover up their own footprints. And a lot of the people who were in the search party were just students. They were Mansi hunters. They were local police. They weren't all KGB that were out there doing the searching to try to find them. So... I find it difficult to believe that it was the Russian government, but I am in the minority there. It seems to be that most people think they're responsible. I just think if it was, they would have just completely disappeared everything. Mm. Like why are they like not only will we like keep evidence around but we'll make it super witchy and cool so people Mm. never stop talking about it. They're not going to do that. (laughs) Like they're just going to go in and get rid of every last trace of anything. Yeah. So so the mystery remains unsolved in many people's minds, even though the Russian government has made their official statement providing an explanation that it was a slab avalanche as proven by technology used to animate the Disney Frozen movies. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and Vladimir Putin definitely didn't attempt to assassinate the only likely person to run against him in a presidential election. (laughs) No, I don't think so. But... um, Um, I don't know. I it wasn't on your list, but I'm going to say it again. Blair Witch. Blair Witch. Mhm. If you go on to Or the Yeti. I yeah. think maybe the Yeti. 
<laughs> or um, aliens. I can't decide. Uh, look, we'll go on to diatlovpast.com and every single detail to do with the case <sighs> is there. You can see all of the photos that I mentioned. You can read all of the diary entries for yourself. This is a website set up by a man and a woman who are absolutely obsessed with okay. the case. Yeah. And they provide an overview of every single theory as well as every counter-argument against every single theory. Wow. You could spend days reading through there. They've also just released a book this year in oh, January. It. It's called 1079, The Overwhelming Force of Dyatlov Pass. <gasps> so if you really want to dive deep, that would be a good starting place for you. If you want some just cheeky, silly fun, there's a movie called Devil's Pass, which mm. is based on uh, the Dyatlov group that's yeah. available on Apple TV for like $2. When was it made? 2013, 2015. Oh, okay. It's not okay, very cool. old. Yeah, yeah I they, watch they that. certainly made it for very little money yes, when you see the, the special love effects. Love those. Mm. And Donnie Iker's book, Dead Mountain, I yeah. found really compelling as well. So that's just the gist of the Dyatlov Pass incident. That was awesome. I will say that I have um, a shocking amount of work due at the moment. And so this is the perfect thing to procrastinate with for days and days Hooray. and days. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the most complex rabbit hole filled topics that I've explored because mm. as you read different accounts and people's explanations, you start to buy into it. Just like you explained with the D.B. Cooper yeah. documentary that you watch that you think, oh, no, this is the explanation. This is the one. Oh, no, this guy's the one. <gasps> this is the one. Yeah. yeah. But the hub that I would recommend that you start at is the diatlovpass.com okay. website. Um, and then but go you from will there. need to set aside quite a bit of time. That's awesome. That. And, I mean, I know we didn't sort of intend to do two deep mysteries in a row, but we just go where the world takes us. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did and I loved it. That was awesome. Thank you very much. Um, if I find out any further information over the next few months or years, I'll report back. Okay. Well, thank you and um, thanks for listening in, Vladdy. No hard feelings. Oh, by the way, this will be such a huge compliment. The people who run diatlovpass.com, they listen to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of articles about oh, diatlov, yeah. and then they go through and fact check and debunk things. I will genuinely be flattered if they <laughs> take the time to debunk okay. a lot of the things that I said. Yeah, but they need to remember that we are called just the gist for, for a reason. a very good reason, yes. For a very, very good reason. I mean, it's the name of our show, but it's also like our caveat, like yes. don't listen to a word. We say out of jail free card, yes. Um, okay, cool. All right. Well, hello to them and hello to Vladdy, and um, see you next week. See you then. Bye. Bye. Listener.